You see, before he came down here, it never podcasted. And afterwards, it did. If he weren't up there now, I don't think it would be podcasting. Sometimes you still catch me podcasting in it. Edward Scissorhands, coming up next. Haven't seen it with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenet. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is listening to a movie, watching a movie for the very first time. And today, that person is myself. I had never seen Edward Scissorhands before, Tommy, until today. Or listen to it. <laughs> or listen to it. Yeah, I actually didn't watch the movie. I just listened to the audio capabilities of the movie exclusively. Um, Eyes closed, blindfold. But I, <laughs> That's how you get it. I, it. <laughs> I didn't ask before we rolled, but we have to introduce a very special guest. and We'll find out if he has seen Edward Scissorhands before or not. This week, we invite onto our podcast a special guest, Cade Thomas from the Double Feature Movie Club a weekly movie review show with a retro vibe, two movies, three hosts, and one rambling conversation. You can find the Double Feature Movie Club on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere else you can listen to podcasts. Cade, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Of course. So have you had you seen Edward Scissorhands before this moment? I had seen parts. You know, I think I'd known the general part of uh, where it went, what happened, but not all the way through, no. And um, I definitely seen, I think feel like I've seen the ending, but I had never seen really the first half I realized. So different movie starting out than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> definitely a different vibe than I figured it was yeah. be from the beginning of the movie. But I think the beginning of the movie ends up setting everything up pretty well. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think there's a good amount of like payoffs in terms of like the characters, like this, the the people in the town and how yeah. they progress from there. I was kind of shocked when like, cause I knowing the second half and knowing sort of the iconography of it, I really thought it was Winona Ryder and, and, um, and Johnny Depp. And that was the sort of main focus. And I was sort of shocked by how late Winona Ryder comes into the movie. And it's Which... really starts out with the Diane Weist um, character. So heavily. Yeah. And then she kind of just goes away. On rewatch, it's kind of crazy how like when Noah Ryder's not in it, and like the fact that they have uh, Edward Scissorhands just stay in her bed for a fucking like what like a week or something, just yeah. like they never thought to tell their daughter like, hey, by the way, this uh, guy of Scissorhands is staying in her bed in your bedroom. Be watch out for that. <laughs> this was a time before cell phones. This was a time before text messaging. She's up in the mountains. She's up yeah. in the mountains, <laughs> even though they were in like the flattest area I've ever seen in my life, but they were up in the mountains somehow. Yeah, yeah. Like that town, that was just like, we'll, we'll dive more into it, but like the Tim Burton style, like enhancing the movie in terms of like building the suburbia culture and like what his vision of that is, mm. like fully on display in in Edward Scissorhands. Um, but Cade, one of the things we like to ask each other before we do, is there anything that you watched this week? Hmm. Any movies that you want to shout out that you hadn't seen, or maybe an old favorite that you revisited? Um, I did just go watch um in theaters the Skinamarink 
that uh horror film. I don't know if you've seen anything about that. Oh yeah, I have a trailer for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was supposed to see it last night by bail because I heard it's just a slow burn. I was like, I, I'm not in the mood for this. <laughs> it's. I mean, I guess I'll uh, save some of this stuff because I'm supposed to appear at something talking about it. But yeah, no, I uh, was excited for this film. Very, very excited for this film. Um, because uh, I thought the trailer was one of the best trailers I've seen for oh, like yeah. horror in like a long time. I thought it was real. It was like atmospheric and really good. Um, did uh did not care for the film. Um, it was about <laughs> I would say an hour over long. <laughs> how long <laughs> was it? <laughs> just just only an hour. Um, <laughs> how how long was it? It was an hour and 45 minutes. Oh, wow. So, 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 so a, a little, little extra fat on that movie. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just some things you could cut out. Um, I, I guess it was previously a short. I don't know. And people said the short was better. I'm like, yeah, I can see. Like if you just like the moments were really like there were really some good moments. Um, but oh, my God, was it a it was a tedious watch to say the least. Um, and um, the crowd I was with were on board. I mean, it was a f- full house. There's not a lot of screenings for it. Um, and um, it, to what, to be in a crowd where they actively turn against the film is um, something um, special. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so they we, lost all the goodwill. Yeah, everyone was just like, fuck this movie. Like, oh, this is so boring. <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess somewhat similar, but on the other hand of that, Tommy and I and then a couple of our friends a couple years ago when the infamous Tom Hooper movie called Cats came out we were like we know this is going to be terrible mm-hmm. but this would be a fun like let's go get brunch before like let's get a little tuned up let's go see Cats yeah. in theaters <laughs> in New York City uh, at the Lincoln Center AMC and we go down there and it's like a half full theater and this is probably like a month after the release like it the, like it, it had been out for a while and there is like this mm-hmm. one like 11 year old girl probably because like taylor swift's in the movie so i'm gonna go see cats cats. with it and like about an hour into the movie she just stands up and it's just what the hell is this like literally just completely (laughs) abandoned any concept that this movie was gonna be good and in that result cats was cats was great cats was so much fun to watch Mm -hmm. i mean it's terrible best movie theater experience i've ever had because we were just so like tuned (laughs) up and drunk and just ready and rowdy for the movie and it was a rowdy ass crowd yeah and and it was like at one o'clock in the afternoon like it was it was not like it was not like it was not like a midnight screening it was like a one on a sunday crowd Mm -hmm. and you know everybody was a little tuned up for it i think everybody knew exactly what it Mm -hmm. was like going into the movie um on that front but it was that was as fun but like yeah seeing like i just will always remember seeing that girl who clearly was there for like taylor swift and whatever other celebrities (laughs) she might have been interested in and Mm -hmm. realizing it was just the biggest piece of shit (laughs) and then also realizing probably that the audience was there because they knew it was terrible like not not computing that people will go see bad movies just because they can just broke her that day (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she learned a valuable lesson i think yeah. oh for exactly. sure oh yeah. for sure from here let's dive deeper into today's film edward scissorhands he'll make you laugh hold me he'll make you cry i can't But most of all, you'll fall in love with Edward. 
be darned. The best film of the year is Edward Scissorhands, rated PG-13. Now playing at theaters everywhere. So I guess Edward's probably the best place to start. And I think this trailer makes it indicative. Do you guys find Edward to be lovable? Do you find him to be truly lovable? Kate, I'll pass this over to you first. Uh, yeah, I think he's he's lovable. Um, he's uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> the simple answer. I think I think he seems lovable. I think that it's um, it's it, a good setup that he like only sort of hurts himself, you know, early on, and then um, then like, but he's like perfect at these creating these other things, and I don't know. It shows. I don't know. He seems to have a good heart, right? <laughs> What do you think? <laughs> yeah, uh, so I, I, I think that uh, this is Tim Burton's like real first huge goth icon, um, a little mm-hmm. introvert uh, right here, um, and I think that he's very lovable. He's just like, like I said, like your lovable introvert, and like where he doesn't really know how to communicate, but just his like bug eye expression we were talking about earlier before we start recording just makes him just so lovable and just so just like oh Edward, like oh please, like come on, <laughs> you can give me a hug even though like you're probably stabbing the process. <laughs> See. I don't know if Edwards is much lovable as he is sympathetic. Like you can sympathize with somebody being an outcast because I think outside of like Peg, nobody really loves him. They just see the municipality in him. Like they see what he can do for their house, for their hair, for their businesses. Mm -hmm. Like they, they see him as a tool. Like they don't see him as a person. And like, like he never interacts with people before before this moment he's just been a recluse in a castle in some random american suburb that just had somehow has a castle at the end of the street that nobody just ran ever bothered to explore <laughs> just yeah, like I, they uh, you get the fe- feeling that like no one's ever gone to that castle ever before and just like just like just been forgotten about like oh yeah vincent price probably died like 50 years ago and ever's just been chilling there just waiting <laughs> yeah and i just i feel like I feel like it's it's hard. It, I feel like it's more like sympathy and pity that you almost feel for him, which makes you want to like him. But I don't. I don't know if lovable is like the right term. And I kind of just thought of that like when I was listening to the trailer before when I was pulling the clip up, and I was like, "Is he lovable?" Like he's definitely iconic. Like I, I would say it's one of Johnny Depp's most iconic performances. You know, Jack Sparrow's easily the most iconic Johnny Depp performance. And then his performance in the trial with Amber Heard, that was the second most iconic performance of, of Johnny Depp's career. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he seems like, I mean, Edward seems to care for other people and everything. And I think for that reason, like, I mean, he he's even more so than people care for him. Um, and I think that that is somewhat of a a lovable quality i don't know um (laughs) i don't know i um yeah i I think sympathetic i mean that's also true i mean he's he's um i don't know he he doesn't have the sort of um necessary uh tools to uh navigate the world um Hmm. there seems to deep down seems to be a a longing in him to um to have a normal life or to you need to care for people you know and everything so it seems like you know his throughout the movie it's always hinted at oh i have a doctor that i can introduce you that could fix you that can make you normal yes that's a repeated quote that everyone says and then you know he's on the tv show and and they ask the quote again 
And then near the end, when the entire town's turned against him, and it's only Winona Ryder and Edward on the same page, on the same team, and then he thinks back to when the professor died, and he was gifting him hands to replace his hands, to give him a shot at a normal life. Mm. And it, like, it shows you in that moment, like, what he truly wants, like, like, he wants to be normal, he wants to be able to, to hug somebody without, you know, cutting their back open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He wants to be able to shake somebody's hand. He doesn't want to have to use his fingers for shish kebabs at a, mm. at a barbecue. But I, I, I thought the most interesting dynamic was the social dynamic of the town and yeah. the gossipy nature of everybody that lives there and like how quickly their opinions will change based on one piece of evidence compared to the other you know hours spent with him and who he is like yeah. it, it shocks me that like these people didn't even comprehend that like this guy has the emotional intelligence of a toddler so when he gets caught breaking into the house they're like oh he he's just a he's just a thief he's just a felon it's like you guys have spent hours around this dude how did you yeah. how did you not think that like how, how did you not realize that like he's like not a little on the same page there. of you yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. um it is one of those things that the barbecue scene uh is a great like example of that right there where uh you have the one guy in the military who's talking about how he like lost his leg or something like that or his arm or something and he's like oh ever like you know you don't have to worry about that and then later on in the movie you see that character again talk to the kid and be like hey where's that cripple and just like immediately how he turns on them and how you hear the gossiping natures of all like the moms in the suburban neighborhood who have nothing better to do. So they're talking on the phone to each other. You're like, Oh, did you hear about what Peg brought in? Like, Oh, she brought in this weird goth goth person or something like that. And then, you know, overall they're like, Oh, now I love him. And now it's like, Oh, he's dangerous. I couldn't believe what's going on. Like, and, and all that stuff. It's just crazy to see how the perspective changes over time and like how they superficially like him at first. But then the second they realize they can't get that much stuff out of him. They're like, he's a monster. Oh God. <laughs> it's a real like Frankenstein parallel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and on top, one of the clips I I have pulled here is uh, from the character Joyce and Edward when Edward is cutting the dog's hair, and then she's like, "What if you cut my hair?" And I think her line at the end of that little segment there really indicates what all of these women are missing in their lives.
So one of the things I wanted to pull this clip for is the way that they use sound and music and incorporate them together throughout the movie, especially to like emphasize Edward as a character because he does not speak. When I was pulling clips for this movie, I was saying before to them, uh, there's a clip on YouTube that says um, Edward Scissorhands, but only when Edward makes a sound or speaks. And the runtime is two minutes and 14 seconds. So Giant Tap does not have a lot of vocal performance in this. It's all very physical. And the way that they use like his hands and the sound around it and the way that they use the music to emphasize him doing something. Because like anytime he starts doing something like that, Den that Danny Elfman score really swells up. And it it's just the way that they use the music to build the character more and the way they use the sound to like build the character up. I think it's like very clear in that scene, what it's trying to do, what, how they're trying to build this character up more and more without mm -hmm. having him speak so much to, to keep that inner part of him like quiet. It's a very good performance with like, like you said, almost no words whatsoever. I think the giant Depp was perfectly cast as just this recluse weirdo. Um, apparently other people that were cast were uh, were considered to be cast for this role were uh, Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, Gary Oldman, and Jim Carrey. And all those guys, I feel like, wouldn't have really pulled this off, really. Especially Tom Cruise, who apparently... Tom, Tom Cruise, no. J Jim Carrey, yes. Yeah, Jim Carrey, maybe I can see, but apparently Tom Cruise... I could see you... Gary Oldman a little bit, you know, but yeah. He could get that in. Uh, yeah, Tom Cruise, could... <laughs> apparently, when he was being considered for the role, he asked a lot of odd questions to Tim Burton, being like, so how's ever go to the bathroom? How do you live without eating all those years? And immediately, like, I have that question too. Like, what does ever do when he goes to the bathroom? Do you just figure that he doesn't go to the bathroom at all? Because <laughs> he'd be fucked over. <laughs> well, he's like a, what is he exactly? <laughs> it's a good, it's, interesting question. I get the implication that he's like immortal and like he's not really human at that point. Yeah. That's what the end of the movie shows sort of him like doing the ice sculpture things and still 50 years later, he still looks the same. So I think he's just and like you see a the hands, monster. and it's kind of like a latex sort of situation. Um, he's, hmm. he's but when he cuts himself, he does bleed. So hmm. there is some I don't know what what exactly he is. You know what's his? Uh, I repeatedly had the question of like what's his age of like because <laughs> that's so this is <laughs> leads into some really uncomfortable. Uh, cutting which way i don't know which way it's uncomfortable but one of one of the ways it's uncomfortable either the <laughs> like, housewives oh God, or the winona rider one which one of them's not okay but i don't know which one <laughs> i i do like that the film doesn't give you any of those answers that so they just like yeah, yeah. this guy has her hands figured out like whatever he was invented or something um you don't need to know if he's human or not whatever we'll go on yeah. move past it we don't need the expository mm -hmm. dialogue i'm just saying like oh like he was in this cave for 30 years or something <laughs> you know some bullshit like that <laughs> what, yeah didn't really work it wouldn't have worked that way <laughs> yeah and then why is like vincent price making a, <laughs> a realistic young boy it seems also a little strange i i just chalked it up to vincent price being weirdo vincent price <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just like ah, oh, whatever fine you're up to your vincent price bullshit <laughs> yeah i don't know i mean they, yeah they didn't really talk about the sort of consciousness of the guy of like how that sort of came to be it's it, it really just starts with like he has a whole torso and head and everything. Um, and then that's just kind of the first time. Um, I mean, it's suggested that like the factory thing, like was what birth, because they have these, these beings that are like these puppets that would make these cookies or whatever. And then it's, it was suggested, wasn't it? Like he looked at one of them and was like, 
I can make, I don't know, this human in some sort of way. I don't know. <laughs> that was, yeah. They really but, didn't have too many scenes with Vincent Price because I think he passed away in the in the during the production. There were supposed to be more scenes with him. And so they had to use what they had. Um but yeah, so there must there might have been more planned. I could I could see like the expository Vincent Price scene. Um yeah, like you said, this was his last movie. Um he was up there in age, he was in his nineties, I think, at this point. Um, and it was a great little performance. I mean, he's one of those voices that like for us, like nineties kids is so iconic. Cause like every cartoon back in the day just used to have like either Vincent Price himself or a Vincent Price impersonator just in the cartoon. So you hear that voice you mean like, okay, yeah, I know where I am right now. <laughs> love Vincent Price. I love old horror films. So, you know, this yeah. borrows a lot from that. So it, and, and, um, yeah, he, he just looks iconic. I don't know. Like <laughs> there's no one that's like vincent price mm-hmm. um so edward scissorhands himself apparently was based on uh drawings that teenage tim burton made reflecting his feelings of isolation of being able uh unable to communicate people around him in suburban burbank so shocker tim burton was a recluse introvert so <laughs> who would have thought that one <laughs> you can kind of see it because this movie like the main theme of this is just isolation and people just like a guy learning to interact in the world and then realizing at the end of the movie maybe i shouldn't interact with the world maybe i should just be a recluse again <laughs> So great message right there, Tim Burton. If you're an introvert, stay that way. <laughs> well, I think it like, and it's we were saying before we rolled, like a theme of a lot of Tim Burton movies, and another one that comes to mind, which is my personal favorite Tim Burton movie, is Ed Wood. About mm-hmm. you know, like, and not in this case a recluse, but an outcast, a recluse, whatever you want to call it, finding a community, finding a family, despite the forces around them telling them that they're wrong and telling them what they're doing is crazy or stupid or whatever. And in this case, it's he builds the community up, starting with the family and then the town and then the robbery happens and then it and then he loses everybody except for um, Winona Ryder's character, who's uh, Kim. Kim's the only one who truly sees him for what he is, um, which is just a sweet, genuine, caring person that'll kind of do what anybody says because he doesn't know any better. He's just kind of built to follow instructions. But I, you know, we were talking about the the um suburban suburbanites, the moms. I loved Kathy Baker as Joyce in this. Yeah. Um, I loved the way that she was just introduced immediately kind of as like like she has the the uh, guy fixing a dishwasher and she's just flirting with him so hard like she's just she's so bored she is just looking for an affair yeah and like it's even like when they're when he's cutting the hair it cuts to her foot like curling up like indicating like more of a sexual feeling that she's getting from this haircut (laughs) than just like a haircut and the way she says uh that was the most thrilling experience i've ever seen in my life (laughs) You really get the undercurrent that she wanted to fuck those scissor hands. <laughs> uh, the undercurrent, Tommy? What about when... <laughs> yeah, scissor, I, mean, I don't even know there's an undercurrent. I think it was Scissor main, main to uh, open her shirt and like reveal yeah. her in lingerie. <laughs> and Edward runs out. And then it was like, he tried to he tried to force himself on me. It's like, mm-hmm. that dude? Mm-hmm. You were that, you were aiming for those scissor hands. <laughs> my fa- following my one of my favorite scenes of the whole thing is when he goes to the diner with the family, and then she's like, and he took she took him back in the back room where she took all her clothes off, and then Alan Arkin just like continues on with the conversation as if nothing happened, but the the three in the middle are like, get get over that one that that sentence. Um, and, uh, 
Kevin Kevin was like Kevin was like yeah yeah and Kevin Pegg are like yeah what yeah I I love the I love Alan Arkin's performance in this movie I think it's a good way to segue mm-hmm. into him where he just has that like kind of voice and mannerism throughout the movie it's just like he almost seems like he's sarcastic and talking down to Edward but at the same time he's treating like us like oh Edward how long have you been in the castle for he's tr- kind of trying to treat him just like a normal person in a way but in just a very awkward and weird way. <laughs> It's just yeah. such a funny comedic performance. <laughs> when you're introduced to the family um, with Alan Arkin and Kevin at the, at the table, and and Peg's just like, Kevin, it's rude to stare. What do you mean rude to stare? That's what that's what I would do. Like he's like, you'd be the greatest show and tell thing I could ever bring in possible. <laughs> like, like, and it's just part of that like utilitarian factor of of Edward Scissorhands where they view him. Like people see him as a tool, it's like they don't see him as a person, and I think that's why he, mm-hmm. the connection with Kim and builds up is that Kim starts to become the only person that sees him as a person, and Peg does more in like a motherly sense, but Kim sees him more as a person in a romantic sense. Yeah, would find but- odd. I don't know. I don't know how you would end up being. I feel like the scissor hands would just make the whole thing very difficult. Chicks dig the scissor hands, man. That's what we find out in this movie. <laughs> Apparently. Um, so I, I do like that the family um like isn't like really freaked out for the most part by Edward and like they're the ones that just like kind of just accept him and, and just like, yeah, fine. He's he has scissor hands, cool. <laughs> like whatever. Well, they're almost all freaked out, except for Kim when she comes back from her hiking trip. And uh she goes into her room, starts taking off her clothes, and then um, she sits there and uh, she looks in her mirror. And who does she see lying in her bed? But none other than an Edward. I had to keep that part with Alan Arkin in where he just taught like it's the only time you get to hear him not try to be like the dad because I feel like every other time he's around the family or whatever this is just him like being a, a man there just being like yeah man something something happens to their glands I don't know they just go crazy I don't know what to do <laughs> I think that clip was perfect to show like what we were just talking about on Arkham before, just like how hilarious he is. Because when we were playing that, I was just laughing. Thank God my mic is on mute. But 
Tommy, your laughs are beautiful. We would have loved to have had them in over the clip. I'm sure everybody at home would have rather heard that than than the clip itself. <laughs> Try a little bit. <laughs> so. also, also, one of the best gags was when he first gets into the house and he like touches the bed and it's a water bed and he like puts the toy over the <laughs> hole. Yeah. And then he's sleeping in that bed, which I, God bless it for somehow holding up with a hole in it. And then, like when he gets scared, he starts stabbing the waterbed, and it goes everywhere. I was like, "You knew, you knew that that was coming the second he tapped that waterbed. That at some point, that waterbed was exploding." <laughs> yeah, it was. It's yeah. a great little like mannerisms that he does in this, where he's just, like kind of like, and especially in that clip where he's just kind of like sculling off awkward and just like kind of like shy and just like, like kind of like just seeing he's not confident. He's like, "Uh, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry." <laughs> <laughs> in those green like pajamas and he's just like walking with his hands like <laughs> shrugged up like like scurrying scurrying down to the basement um <laughs> yeah i i think it was just it was a good introduction between kim and edward um and then how kim ends up warming up to him which i would say maybe feels the most underdeveloped or maybe more in line with like she starts to love him because she like feels bad for him because um her boyfriend basically set him up to try to break into the dad's office to steal the money so he could get a truck which she somehow thought which is just a stupid plan to begin with because he'd be like hey yeah. son where'd you get the money for that truck i'm missing like five thousand mm-hmm. dollars from my office and for the thing that kicks off the whole I mean, that's what causes all the problems. It did seem to be very something that was just set up right then, and then they did it. Um, yeah, I, that was, to me, I, I, I was just shocked by how um, knowing the sort of second half and sort of thinking that, like, um, you know, and vaguely being aware of the movie and what people talked about in this movie, I just assumed that the whole movie was, like, the development of that relationship and everything, and that that was a lot of time was going to be... Um, devoted to that and um like i said very shocked that that um was so late in the game that winona even showed up and then you're like well into the movie before like she thinks he's odd for even the first part that she she because she then has to go on the she's behind the rest of the people in their arc and she so everyone else is accepting of him and she's like he's weird you know and so it, it's very like she has to do a lot of like a character journey in a very, very short amount of time. And um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I wish they would have developed that a little bit more. Yeah, I I wish I clocked it um, like and like paused it right when she first ended the movie, because like I've had to guess it'd probably be like 40 minutes in, maybe 50 minutes in. It's like 35, 40 minutes. Yeah, like almost like at the midway point of a movie right there where like you already set the first act and met the majority of the family and like there's no real mention of Kim except for like the photos. So, mm-hmm. and yeah, I guess like the real romance and her developing feelings was like in the last 30 minutes where she kind of shoehorned in a little bit where, mm-hmm. you know, I was this is a guy that she met like for uh, me for a few months or something like that. They didn't really develop it as well. I agree with that. Yeah, it felt a little undercooked. But, like, the only thing about her is that, like, everybody else saw him in a utilitarian sense. But she was the only one who mm-hmm. never really looked at him that way. Mm-hmm. Like, even when they're locked outside of the house, the Boggs house, and they're like, Edward, do you have a key? And he's like, no. And then he just takes his finger and just opens the door. Like, he's just like, she's just like, thanks. Whereas <laughs> the, the boyfriend was like, oh, you can do that. Wow. No marks yeah. or anything. Wow. Um, interesting. 
I guess this is a good way to segue to uh, can we talk about the fact that Anthony Michael Hall in the span of what like five years went from playing like the like nerd characters in the 80s movies to then all of a sudden here he's like course correcting by like no I'm a jock bully I'm not a nerd I'm not a nerd like please don't call me a fucking nerd oh god no <laughs> yeah and he's never done it since he's never been a nerd <laughs> since he's always played the tough like I mean anytime he appears he's like a gruffer version so yeah it does seem like he's fought that yeah, he just hated his early career. He's like, fuck that. I mean, he even popped up in uh, one of the Halloween sequels a couple yeah. years ago. And, and that he was movie, like, oh, I'm a tough guy. I'm yeah, yeah, even on. that movie. It's, it's like, <laughs> okay, Anthony Michael Hall, we, you were a nerd in the 80s. We don't forget it. People don't mm-hmm. forget. <laughs> don't you forget about me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like, yeah. he played a good jock bully, though. I mean, in, in yeah. that sense, so. I mean, it's an archetype, but he played the archetype well. <laughs> Yeah, I think he did a good job of like, I was like, oh, I don't like him. But that's, of course, the point I, I like, you know, he, he went for it and mm-hmm. I give him credit for that. I am a star. I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a star. I am a big, bright, shining star. All right, Kate, Tommy, this is our who is the star of the movie? Who had the best performance throughout the movie? I think this one will be slight, pretty interesting. Kate, I'm going to kick it over to you. Who do you think had the best performance? Ooh, best performance. There's a lot of really, really great performances here. Um, it, I think it, you know, some of them are hampered by the fact that you don't get a lot of time with some of them. So it's like, oh, I really do care about some of the performances a lot, but it's, um, you know, they're bit players or whatever in the um, grander scheme. Ah. I kind of um I well I, I I guess you just have to go with Johnny Depp's Edward Scissorhands. I it seems like I, I was gonna go weirder, but I think that I mean like that's a really iconic, unique performance with very little um words and um um I think you, you feel him throughout it. So gotta go with that one. Uh, I'm going to go agree with you right there, Cade. Uh, I'm going to go with Johnny Depp right here. I mean, he's obviously the title character. And uh, if he was shitty in this role, if it was Tom Cruise or something like that, then like this movie wouldn't have worked. And we wouldn't have loved uh, Edward Scissorhands like the trailers promised we did. So like you said, like he doesn't really do that much in terms of like vocal mannerisms, but in terms of like his physical performance and just like the way he interacts with Edward, he feels like a fully realized character despite having almost no dialogue. So I'm going Johnny Depp. See, I want to just see the Tom Cruise version of this movie so badly. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you how much I want to see see that just because it, I feel like Edward Scissorhand conflicts with the image that Tom Cruise and his Napoleon complex, like, are completely <laughs> against. Yeah. <laughs> you wish that there was a reality out there where you could just, like, flip a child to, like, being, like, oh, like, the Nicolas Cage version of Superman or, like, all those other, mm-hmm. like, what-if movies. <laughs> It's like he only has like Tom Cruise does like the smiley or he does the like um, the like crazy intense. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know. I mean, it would it would have to be the crazy intense one that was like, you know, that, uh, you know, um, I just but that wouldn't work at all. <laughs> it, would, it, would, it, would, it would feel more like more like a horror movie. If it was yeah, because like, it'd just be so unnerving. It's like, oh, God, mm-hmm. like. No wonder the people fucking think it's weird. <laughs> well, Tom Cruise would be trying to like, like Johnny Depp rarely smiles in this. Like Tom Cruise would have mm-hmm. been trying to smile throughout this whole thing. And it, like with that makeup and the hair and the fingers, yeah. like him just sitting there like, like this, yeah. like just like, <laughs> like weirdly beaming. Like that Tom Wait, Cruise what? smile would not, would not play as well. No, the, the weird Scientology mm-hmm. aspect too. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
for me, yeah. I want to just play devil advocate here. I'm going to go with Diane Weist. I think she had like a truly terrific performance here. We haven't really touched on her as Peg. Yeah. Um, I really liked the way that she showed compassion and the way, because like the way she's introduced is as like an Avon makeup saleswoman. And I think everybody's kind of perception of like those door to door, like makeup kind of MLM kind of companies, not generally positive. And like, it just starts with her, like introducing herself to the neighbors who are all dismissing her. And you're kind of like, who is this lady? Like, what is she about? Like, like who, who is she? And then you, you genuinely come to know her as like a genuine warm and compassionate person like we're on the tv broadcast um someone asks like says the line about oh edward i have a doctor i can fix your hands and they're like well that won't make you special anymore if they fix it and she's like well no edward will always be a special person no matter what happens to him <laughs> and even when he gets arrested like she's not going in yelling and scolding at him she's like genuinely coming from a place of depth and caring and i think that movie this movie really needs that to keep you aligned with Edward because you really do feel everybody else like being slimy towards him. And I just think she had a great performance and it was, I think it's a little underspoken and um, because I think the most iconic scene in this movie is, and for people that haven't seen Edward Scissorhands is the scene of him chopping the ipe sculpture and the, the snow coming down and Winona Ryder like spinning around in the snow. Like that's probably the most iconic visual from mm -hmm. Edward Scissorhands and I don't I think it almost gets forgotten that she's in this movie but she really plays a big part in it and, I, and she really drives the momentum of the story and introducing him to everybody and kind of being the catalyst for everything so I'm gonna go with Diane Weist play a little bit I, I liked her here. yeah a lot she, and uh, she was my second sort of uh she was one I was going by but I think it's tainted a little bit by the fact of how she go where her arc ends and what happens with the character. She just kind of, they kind of forget about her. I feel like, or they, they, kind did, of they definitely did a little bit and it got replaced with Kim. Yeah. Yeah. Which almost seems like they needed to pick one of those avenues. Like it, it, it seems like we're kind of, they, they fit two different uh, characters and either sort of Kim should have, they should have developed Kim more and had her be the sort of person that discovers Edward. And like, you just, or you, I don't know, somehow <laughs> don't do the Kim thing and, and do uh, just explore that character more at the end. I, I don't, I don't know. It, 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 it does seem to be that it, there's a hard switch that, that, um, when Kim comes in, when a writer's character, she becomes the sort of secondary character yeah. and they don't really have much to do with. Well, I, you know, just hearing you say that, like an interesting twist I think they could have made on it is, uh, like Edward. Like, if you got rid of the Kim character or just had her be, like, the background, you know, teenage daughter, prissy, brat, whatever, but not important, and you have it be about Edward feeling genuine love towards Peg and confusing that for, like, a mother's love and not being able to differentiate between the two because he's never experienced that before. Mm. Like, I think that would have been probably the better way they could have gone with it, like, in terms of the way the story is structured at that point. But... Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely did that. But like, I even at the end when Edward runs away, and she's just like, he might have to go home because I, you know, like I didn't like that might just be where he's safest. Like she's thinking about his safety, like where he'll be able to to live. Mm -hmm. Like she's not 
like i need to get him out of the house because he's just a nuisance and he's a pain in the ass you're just like what will keep edward safest what will make him like what would be the best for him and it's just that kind of caring and i think it carries throughout her performance that she never like turns on edward despite him like breaking an entry and kind of destroying the house and slashing her son in the face and yeah. i think that's nice and i really enjoyed her performance ah are you ready comedy partner waka waka all right kate tommy would edward scissorhands work as a muppet adaptation <laughs> i'm kate, trying to think of how you do it um kate are you a big muppets fan Oh, I'm a huge Muppets fan, so this is excellent. Um, I love, yeah. I love the Muppets movie, um, or any yeah. any of them. I am, yeah. uh, I think my favorite is Great Muppets Caper. Sorry, <laughs> talk about Muppets. It's a solid one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then I, and then second, which um, people, I think I like the ones that people don't genuinely like, but I, I liked Muppets from Space a lot. The Gonzo oh, one. I love that one. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a childhood favorite. I always cried yeah. during the scene where Gonzo would say bye to the Muppets, even though I knew it was happening. That was like my, my childhood cry for some reason. <laughs> We're big yeah. Muppets fans here. Well, good. Yeah, good. But I don't um, know if you could tell. We have a segment on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, what would, would you would you make Edward the human person and then like the towns people are Muppets? Would that be how you would do it? I think that's yeah. how you have to do it with this one. You know, part of our scheme of doing this is to one day get funded by the Disney Corporation to, you know, bring back the Muppets. I think that's why when, you know, when this podcast hits the big time, baby, you know, we want <laughs> Disney to hear it and be like, hey, these guys are yeah. really on the Muppets here. Like, why don't we give them like two million dollars each and they'll bring back the Muppets? Yeah. yeah. Well, we, I mean, that has to happen routinely anyways, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah us, us, us movie podcasters get Muppet adaptations all the time. They just <laughs> yeah, give them out like fucking blank check. <laughs> like candy, dude. They just hand them out like candy. But no other yeah. podcast really focuses in on the Muppets every episode like we do. So, I mean. Yeah, exactly. So, I have I mean, to ask, as yeah. Muppets people, because I, I don't very get to interact with a lot of <laughs> huge Muppets fans. <laughs> so, um, I really like it. Fans didn't like it. My pitch for what Muppets would be has already happened, and people hated it. And it was their. I love their ABC show. I actually oh, really that was th- great. I thought that was. I thought that was really good too. <laughs> that was the perfect <laughs> avenue. I mean, that's what you do. You put them in a modern setting. And it's like a sitcom, and that's all you need for the Muppets. It was a great. I wa- I think yeah. I watched all of it, but still, it was amazing. <laughs> I think the, the disconnect is that people just have like an image of what they think the Muppets are versus like what the Muppet Show actually was, which was definitely mm-hmm. like more an adult humor, despite it being for mm-hmm. kids. Yeah, and yeah. like I think they just think of it more of like the Muppets take Manhattan and like a little bit more of like the kiddie side of things. Muppet and, babies, like, the, in, yeah, Muppet babies, the Disney <laughs> yeah. experience at the theme park or whatever, like. They don't yeah. think of them for what they actually are. And I thought they'd actually like hit the nail on the head. Like I love the Jason Seagull a- adaptation of the Muppets. Like I thought that was perfect too. They had a little run, but now they're like kind of disappearing. But uh, to tie back to Everett Sirhands, I mean, I think that would, would be the best part of this is that when, uh, you know, Everett would accidentally cut, cut someone, it'd be a Muppet. So this felt would come out and be like, oh, God, ah! <laughs> so, like that, that's what you just do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like I, I, Kim would be, Janice, I guess, um, from Doctor Teeth, mm-hmm. <laughs> would Peg be uh, Piggy or no Piggy? Piggy would be uh, what's her name? Uh, Kathy Baker. Yeah, Joyce. Joyce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. 
yeah. right there. Alan Arkin would obviously be uh, Sam I guess Eagle. Walter Sam Eagle. Yeah, Sam Eagle would probably. Be in. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm liking this already. So I mean, this might work as a Muppet adaptation. <laughs> and, and just to flip it on its head, I want Anthony Michael Hall to be played by Kermit. Just to completely flip it on its head, <laughs> I want to see Kermit the bully. Yeah, Kermit bad boy. <laughs> so when you want to make Edward Muppet hands, you reach out to us. We're available for like a million each, which is nothing to you guys. Yeah, literally low nothing. budget, very low budget. Just bring us on. We're we're, we're ready. We're ready, Disney. Yeah. All right. Review time. Cade, Tommy. Give me your score out of five, Cade. I'm gonna kick it over to you first. Oh, I had to start off every time. Um uh, let's I mean it's a classic. What do you guys do point fives? Is that what is that part of Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Point five, yeah, yeah. Point five works. You can okay. do point twos if you want. Oh, you could be that specific. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I would I I I hmm. Like a three point eight what i'd give it 3.8 all right mm-hmm. i i don't know <laughs> I, I i don't typically rate movies um on, on our podcast we i give emojis i because i <laughs> i don't i don't yeah. like making it so harsh with films uh yeah. i don't know so it's it's uh it's it's difficult for me to sort of um, say that and what the scale even sort of means but yeah i mean i um that's on a personal scale not even really speaking to the quality of the the film it's uh Tommy? Uh, so I was ready to go in here saying four out of five, but after discussing mm-hmm. it a little bit and realizing like the Winona Ryder character is a little bit underdeveloped, um, I'm going to go 3.5 out of five. I still like this movie. It's really fun. I've watched it twice this year now, and it's already like, well, only what, like 17 days into the year? 16 days? Uh, so this is a very charming movie. Giant Dip gives a great performance, and I think it's just very funny and just comedic throughout. But 3.5 out of five, I wish the characters were a little bit more developed. Yeah, I'm going to go actually with a three out of five, mostly because of the characters do just feel very underdeveloped. Um, I think it has all the hallmark qualities of a good Tim Burton movie. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's got the humor down. I think it's got that sense of isolation and community and trying to find that within yourself, even though you still feel like an outcast. Um you know, the score was great. The way they utilized the sound was really good, but it just like it felt it felt a little like two a movie with two halves that almost feel disconnected. It felt like two episodes of a TV show. It didn't mm-hmm. feel like one comprehensive movie. Um, so for me, it's three out of five. Definitely worth the watch. Um, fun little movie. Definitely not my favorite Tim Burton though. That's still Ed Wood. Yeah, I thought the 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 comedy worked really well, mm-hmm. and more so than even some of his some other uh, Tim Burton ones. Um, I thought that this was like I think it it really. It was it was confident um, that um, even though it it maybe shouldn't have been in some cases, but it, I I liked its its uh it, what what um its confidence and uh, the other thing I just have to say I love about Tim Burton this era of Tim Burton no longer the case um yeah. is sets and like he's not scared to look like a film like mm-hmm. with it like miniatures and lighting it's like yeah we're on sets this is all indoors you know like some of the parts i mean obviously some of the parts outdoor but like this is where we're um hearkening back to like old school filmmaking um Mm. and it's gonna look that way and um we sorely 
miss that in a lot of um, Hollywood movies and especially even Tim Burton films. They're just, all yeah, crazy. the production design of this in general was great. I mean, we didn't touch upon it um, you know, that much, but like, you know, the whole fact of like how the suburban neighborhood looked, how they pretty much went to some Ram town in like Tampa, Florida, and just painted over like just all the, uh, all the suburban uh, neighborhood houses and four colors and just has this weird dreamy aesthetic to it. That it really makes you feel like right in the middle of like the sixties or whatever when it's, I think it's supposed to take place. Yeah, I would agree. The production production design is really fantastic in this. Um, but yeah, that was fun, Cade. Uh, thank you so much for for joining us. Uh, can you give a couple of drops where people can find you on social media and the podcast? Yeah, um, they can follow me on YouTube at, um, at Cade Thomas or any of the other socials at the Cade Thomas. Um, I host uh, two podcasts. My movie podcast is called Double Feature Movie Club. Um, it's every Sunday night, 6 p.m. Central. We go live on my YouTube channel. It's later the next day is available as a podcast. It's currently on its winter hiatus, but we will return in February. So um, catch up on old ones or um, um, mark your calendar, I guess, or subscribe, <laughs> whatever you need to do for that um, double feature movie club, wherever you get your podcasts. Other podcast I do, it's called Kate and Friends, and it's just a comedy chat with some of my friends and um, we do bits and things. But if you're interested in my filmmaking, that's on my YouTube channel. Like I said, youtube.com slash Kate Thomas. Bunch of films, bunch of podcasts, just make things in general. So uh, check it out. Yeah, definitely, definitely check Kate out and all of his work. Um, Tommy, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Uh, yeah, so thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, you can find us at Scene Pod. That's on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And, um, you know, leave us a five-star review. Leave Kate a five-star review, too, on his podcast. Uh, it really helps all of us out. So, and next up, we're covering The Goonies. So, I've never seen it before. Can't Neither wait. have I. <laughs> You've never seen it, too? I thought that you were... No, no, <laughs> you were, you were like, I thought either. you were like, giving me shit about not seeing no, The Goonies. That was, like, was Dallin. Yeah, who might be on the... Our friend Dallin is probably going to be back on the podcast because any 80s movie, he's required. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. Um, but thank you guys all so much for listening. We'll see you next time.